Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. MAG, Mind Advisory Group, is an international organization that saves lives and builds futures through the destruction of weapons and conflict-affected countries. Since 1989, MAG has worked for over 35 countries, and in 1997, Gloria, welcome to. Did you hear your intro? I I heard you started, and then it went out. So I'm not, oh. I wasn't sure if it was me, and I was. Oh my! If I got kind of um. lost or kicked out, but well, let's it just was pretend you just heard so far. <laughs> now, um, MAG and the amazing work that they do uh, across the world in helping people to um, reclaim their homeland. 
Absolutely. Um, so we're a mind advisory group. Um, we're called MAG for short. And um, MAG works in, as you said, conflict-affected countries to get rid of landmines and unexploded bombs that are left there. And there are countries we work in um, that those things have been there for like 40 years, such as Vietnam and Laos, the story that the film's about. We also work in countries that are just in the midst of recovering from conflict now, like Libya. So really the, I would say the common thread is we try to work in areas where people need us the most. In the end, we're a humanitarian organization. Um, we're really focused on um, countries where these items are not only um, costing people their lives um, and there's a threat of dismemberment, but also it's really stopping people from having a life. It's stopping people from farming their land or building schools. So our work is really to help those countries in that first step of development to move on and really become self-sufficient. Well, explain to us, really, um, what is the process? How do all the, these landmines um, appear across the countryside where, where there's no real record of them and um, they could appear out of nowhere? They could seem as if the, the land is clear and um, you just happen to be walking and next thing you know you hear an explosion and someone has been dismembered. Yeah, it's really each country that we work in has a different story. Um, over 90 countries in the world are affected by some type of left-behind remnant of war. Mm -hmm. So in the Laos example, which is common across some of the countries, during war, um, bombs were dropped on the country. Um, in the Laos example, it was America um, as a result of kind of connections to the Vietnam War who dropped bombs on Laos. And so some of those bombs did not go off on impact. And so they're sitting in the ground as essentially time bombs. Um, mm -hmm. In Laos, there's, we, there were a particular um, munition called cluster munitions. And so if you think of one of those huge right. two-ton bombs that you mm -hmm. might see, inside each of those were thousands of these little what they call bombies. And those were supposed to spin and spin until they exploded. Now what happened is because some of the drops were too low and there was some manufacturing difficulties that we know about now, up to 50% of these didn't explode on impact, and so they just fell to the ground. And when you walk around loud, you can actually see them. Pretty much everywhere I went, some villager or some farm owner would stop me and show me where there were bombies still on his land. And so what happens to these is that what they essentially need is to finish their rotation to go off. And they look like a little ball. So if you think of a kid picking them up and throwing them, that oh, will set wow. them off. So that's wow. one example. Again, landmines are actually underneath the ground. Mm -hmm. And so just in different environments, in different conflicts, they were placed underground, both as a nuisance. You know, nuisance probably isn't even a strong enough word. Essentially a deterrent to feel free. Um, so they were set up somewhat haphazardly, so that people would live in fear and not know where they could go and they, where they wouldn't go. In a more traditional environment, they're set up on strategic paths. So they might be placed along rivers or waterways because that's where troops would have to kind of move to in order to get supplies. Or they might surround a strategic town. So it really, the method of how these got here really vary 
significantly per country, and our focus is really on clearing them and not even so much getting into the nitty-gritty of why they came, they went there. We try not to get into the politics of a country. We will try to capture any information we can about what was dropped or where landmines would have been laid because obviously that helps our job go quicker in terms of finding them um, and might help us prioritize those areas that have the most effect. But our job isn't to kind of judge how those items got there, but instead to focus on you know, every human being deserves the right to walk out their front door without mm-hmm. being fear of blown up or without let their children walk to school without being, you know, without being afraid that they're 10 minutes late that you might never see them again, which no. in these countries is, you know, a reality for the people. Tell us, how long have some of these bombs actually been there in place? 40 years, 50 years. Wow. So these but are... Some of the challenge, too, is, you know, these are these things have been in tough weather conditions for them. So while, you know, I talked about those bombies, they're not supposed to go off if you just step on them. They shouldn't need a rotation, but there was no testing to see what would happen 50 years after you left these things in the ground. Right. There's no quality control for that. So really, they could really go off at any time. Um, so, they're just time bombs. Now, tell us the process. What What do you do? How How is it that your group actually goes in and is able to start your work and um, get, take us step by step how you actually implement the work that you do. So when we're moving into um, an area, our first kind of line of defense is what we call the community liaison team. So they'll go and work in an area that we have prioritized for clearance, and that's typically working with a national authority in the country. Um, So say Laos, for example, has a government agency who helps focus um, any international nonprofits who want to come help them with the landmine removal, um, just to coordinate efforts potentially across multiple organizations to do these things. And so they'll assign us an area, and then our community liaison team, um, who are all locals, we have very few international staff who work for MAG. We mostly hire locals in country. So they'll go and talk to village communities um, and talk to any people who may have been in the military in the area to try to figure out what is in the area, what types of bombs, what types of landmines, because each of those needs to be dealt with differently. Um, so they'll try to get a lay of the land as to what might, what contamination might exist and where. Once we start to develop that database um, is typically what we call it, and we've worked with the community leaders and we've kind of talked about where we're going to work first, then we use teams. So typically it's teams of 12. Each team has a medic and a driver. Um, mm. We follow international protocols so that if we ever do have an accident, we are ready to take care of our staff. So safety is our biggest priority. Mm-hmm. Um, we do quality assurance. So what we'll do is we'll use mine detectors essentially to go over areas to try to find any residual metal. And a lot of times that metal is just scrap metal. Um, because if you think about these areas that there are bombs, there's also exploded bombs and other right. things. So there's mm-hmm. typically a lot of metal content in these areas. So we'll go through, we'll find all the metal, we'll track it. A second quality assurance person will go through it a second time, and we'll start to dig things out and look at them. 
So we have many layers of control to make sure that our local staff who are working there are completely safe. Ultimately, when we find an item, we'll try to excavate it. Um, we'll try to remove the item from the ground and do separate demolitions. If we can't do that, that we actually have teams who are able to blow things up in the ground. And then we'll do quality assurance afterwards to make sure that the land is totally clear before we return it to the country, to the community. Um, so it is, it's a long process. Yeah. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. But mm -hmm. when, we, when we return land to a community, we want them to be a thousand percent sure Mm -hmm. that nothing can happen to them when they go on there. Because if you think about these people, they've been living in fear so long. Mm -hmm. Once we return land to them, that's something that we're giving back to them, the ability to live without fear. And we're very proud of that. Um, it's very important to us. Now, is it is it even possible, too, that some of these villages and some of these places have actually built, um, you know, housing or other um, structures over an area, too, that could be impacted? Yes, absolutely. Um, it's, it really is tragic, you know, in the countries where we've gone to that, you know, it's really the people's options is do I farm this land, do I live in this home that I know is potentially contaminated, mm -hmm. or do I let my children starve? Mm -hmm. um, so in the film, it's interesting, you know, when if you watch – Mag's film, Surviving the Peace, and you see the part where we're doing clearance. You'll actually see paddy fields behind where we're doing clearance. Mm -hmm. Those paddy fields are not cleared. We to we've told the village community not to go in them because we know mm. that there could be bombies in there. But we didn't get to it quick enough in order for them to meet their harvest. And what they said is, you know, we have people in this village who will starve if we don't do that land. Mm. So we need to take the chance. We know that some of our fathers may die, but they need to go out to do that to feed their children. Mm. So it's just a horrible decision these people must make on a daily basis that seems kind of impossible for us to fathom that as an option. One of the, um, the pictures you have is of a, an infant uh, or a toddler who's walking um, away from his, um, I guess, grandfather or father and you know, there's a sign close by that says, you know, you know, mine area. And, you know, that that's just a shocking statement in itself. Um, an infant so close to an area where you, you know that um, it's in, there could be possibly an explosion or, you know, could injure someone and even cause death. But um, again, you, you were making a point about how they live with this, and, and that picture in itself says it all. I mean, it's just a day-to-day -day thing for them. Yeah, I just came back from Angola where we're actually kind of shooting the next film to follow this one, and there, there are still refugees returning from kind of the civil war, the war that ended a decade ago, and many of them are returning to areas that are contaminated. And you would see these children... You know, one of the first things that I learn or we teach anyone who's kind of visiting an infected area is when you see these kind of pickets. This marks the safe area. And, mm. you know, I got a strict talking to from our technical directors who said, you never cross that line. I don't care what you think is happening. You never cross the line. And you watch these kids crossing back and forth over the line because that's their mm. life. Mm. And, yeah, it's just, it's heartbreaking, and mm -hmm. 
you know, when I see that, all I can think is hopefully we can raise more money and raise more awareness and just get this land cleared faster because we can't ask these people to live life, their life any other way than what they're living it. They're barely surviving. And so it's really our job to get in there and do it quicker. And um, hopefully, you know, by showing this film more, um, we can we can do that. We can raise awareness and raise funds and make a difference in these people's lives. Wow. Now, back in 1997, um, this group was awarded um, the Nobel Peace Prize for its work. And um, tell us a little bit about that. And um... So that was back when uh, we were involved in the campaign to ban landmines. And that mm-hmm. was the year that the um, campaign to ban landmines got signed by ma- many major state parties. Mm-hmm. Now, sadly, you know, America has never signed the international campaign to ban mm. landmines. We do get considerable support um, from the U.S. government, um, particularly um, the State Department has an Office of Weapons Removal and Abatement. They are one of, if not the largest, one of the largest donors um, to clearance and allow. Um, but, you know, they have not they have not ratified that treaty or the treaty to ban cluster munitions. And, the, you know, the fact that these items still do exist, cluster munitions particularly, you know, are still used, you know, in conflicts, you know, not widely, but they are used in conflicts still today. Knowing everything we know about these weapons, and how much harm they have done after conflicts are over is just devastating to me personally. Um, and again, hopefully by continuing to raise kind of awareness of the issues, um, we can get all countries who have not signed um, these bans to consider doing that. Wow. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of us actually think because of the devastation and how often we've heard these stories of and, you know, have seen these images of people and infants and kids and all with missing limbs that this has been banned already. But you're saying that's still not the case. I would say landmines um, generally, even though some countries have not signed the landmine treaty, you don't see much. I would say general country use. Sometimes you mm-hmm. do see, you know, within countries that are at war, um, you know, developing nations, they'll take and reuse. So they'll kind of dig up ones that they have and reuse oh, them or yeah. kind of refathom them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but cluster munitions, um, you know, have been used more recently and, you know, have been thought to have been used, you know, even in, in Libya. Um, several years ago. So, yeah, I mean, it is, it's to me tragic um, that these items that, again, there's so much evidence about how much humanitarian um, hurt that they cause that they are still out there, but that's the reality that we live in. Well, we want to go ahead and and bring in Molly Pompadith. Um, She's got some firsthand knowledge of, um, living through um, a war-torn situation. Um, Molly, welcome back to A Measure of Truth. Good evening, Michael. Thanks for having me back again. (laughs) Now, um, 
You have quite the story, and I'll just let you start where you will, and uh, then you can sort of pair that in with um, how um, you and um, Patricia started to actually work together as well. But um, tell us a little bit about your um, family story. Sure. Well, I was personally in my family, I was personally impacted by the Vietnam conflict, which makes MAG's work and what I've learned about what they're doing in Laos so important and personal to me. Um, I and my family were refugees of war during the Vietnam conflict, and we fled the country crossing the Mekong River um, to get to the refugee camp in Thailand where we stayed for about a year, and then a church in Maryland in the United States um, sponsored my entire family to come to uh, the U.S. And so the journey of leaving my homeland of Laos, uh, my parents tell me about it. Um, they, They share with me the trauma and the fears that took place because of all of the bombings and all of the internal uh, turmoil that was happening inside the country of Laos. Um, You know, because of the Vietnam conflict and also internal civil conflicts as well as civil war conflicts. So I have firsthand experience of what the... um, the Vietnam conflict and the bombs and the war itself had on my family and the journey to the United States. So how I got involved with MAG and how I met Patricia was a dear friend of mine invited me to come to uh, their film screening of um, their their film that they shot in last last year, Surviving mm. the Peace. Mm-hmm. And it was there at the screening uh, that you know I, I showed up and I was just so moved by the story itself and uh, also by the work that MAG was doing, not only inside of Laos, but also around the world. And uh, it just resonated with me on a very personal level, and I took a, um, made a personal commitment and said to Patricia, if there was anything that I could do personally to support, you know, raising awareness for the film, because, of course, it was a tie directly to my homeland, as well as uh, raising awareness for MAG, that I would be delighted to do it. And so she took me up on that offer, (laughs) (laughs) as a wonderful marketing manager would. (laughs) (laughs) So when when she approached me about that, she said, well, how about doing something together, uh, a film screening that we could, um, you know, kind of pull your network together and it just, I thought about it and I thought about it, and it just dawned on me that I also had made an earlier commitment to help my dear friend, Shawande, um, promote his film, The New N-Word. And that film was shot um, uh, last year. And really, we were wanting to do a red carpet um, premiere for that film anyway. And so I thought, wow, there are two powerful films that really talk about uh, the human race, world peace, cultural unity, commonalities among every human being, why not make that a central theme, put these two organizations together that I really cared for and I really supported their vision and their mission for what they're doing for the world and create a an event where we could all work together to inspire cultural unity and world peace and that's how the whole concept or the overarching theme of Lao came into play because I wanted to bridge these two organizations somehow at this one event. 
Wow. <laughs> and yeah, we're we're talking two different ends of the spectrum. Um the new N word. Anthony picked the wrong day to get on Raymond's bad side. When the workplace dispute spirals out of control, Raymond, the only African American in the company, plots to salvage his long career at CAPCO, a hip, newly converted wind energy company, into a post-racial America. His plan? The, the new N-word. A comedic series of events unfold when human resources intervenes. The story reveals the complexities and the humorous side of family, friendships, and office politics. Shawande, welcome to A Measure of Truth. <laughs> and thanks for having me, Michael. And I, I, I'm, I'll bet you're wondering how in the world does this film tie in with Laos? Exactly. And but I think Molly pretty much laid it out there for us and helps us to understand. Uh, it has to do with the human condition. But go ahead and elaborate on that. Well, actually, the new N word is the first film by a non-Laotian to feature traditional Lao music. Hmm. And and how is that? And why did that come into play? I'm glad you asked. Uh, actually, it, it it was it was totally serendipitous, as hmm. many of Molly and I's experiences. Um, I was. I was actually uh, watching a, a video of her playing uh, playing drums, and the rhythms would, sounded very familiar to uh, to African rhythms. And I had produced a documentary on Goko and how that music started in D.C. Uh, 20 years ago, actually. Mm, wow. uh, well, 20, 20 years ago that the documentary aired. Goko's been around for about 40 years. but um, And so I asked her about these, uh, you know the, 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 these rhythms, and she, you know, explained that she was learning uh, loud music, and I'm like, wow. So uh, I, I, I started to investigate it more and more. Um, started listening to loud music and listening to the similarities, and decided I'm going to incorporate this in myself. Hmm. Wow. And you said it has some resemblance to go-go music? It has resemblance to African music. Too. I see. Really? And, wow. Yeah. Yeah. The rhythms. Absolutely. You know, yeah, I'm taking a minute to get over the fact that Molly plays drums. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, every time, I mean, I've had her on the show, I don't know how many times, but every time she's got a new talent for me. <laughs> Let me set the record straight. <laughs> I don't play drums very well yet. At the time, I was meeting one of our masters. So I'm on the board of the Lao Heritage Foundation, as you know, Michael. Mm -hmm. And uh, a small percentage of the proceeds will also go to support the Lao Heritage Foundation and their mission to preserve, promote, and transmit the Lao culture. And uh, several years ago... Um, we basically went on a mission to find as many masters of these traditional musical instruments that we could find. And uh, there was a master that was here in D.C. that flew in from Fresno. And uh, he happens to be blind and he happens to play several of our traditional uh, instruments. And he has been a master musician forever. And we were so blessed to have found him, flew him here, and he was teaching some of our teachers that are part of our music program 
to preserve, promote, and transmit the culture through our Heritage Foundation. So it was in that meeting that I sat with him, and he was teaching me these traditional beats, and we happened to film it. And I don't know how Shawande stumbled upon it. I think it was through Facebook. Um, <laughs> and there it was. He saw it. He was inspired by the, the beats and the rhythms and told me that it reminded him of African beats. And it just clicked for us, again, around the whole concept of the human race, that we're all one, that we like certain, you know, same things. Everything came from somewhere. And it was just a very powerful statement inspired by my drum playing with the master. And actually, mm-hmm. in this context, Michael, mm-hmm. uh, the new N-word is a cautionary tale of, of what can happen and what will happen if we don't start looking at each other as 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 brothers and sisters of the human race. Right. You know, right. we'll always we'll always have these conflicts and arguments, and I mean, even well, families argue, but. When you when you when you start to operate on a higher level of uh, consciousness and spirituality, and you begin to see people as you know fellow human beings, then you're less likely to start a conflict. You're less likely to drop a bomb on a complete stranger because they because they're no longer strangers. That's right, and and you're no longer at risk of drawing the line. And becoming stubborn and saying, once you do that, you say that I'm different from that person on the other side. And that becomes the the old conflict right there. It's just the fact that um, you don't see that person as yourself. And, and that is very dangerous. Absolutely. So, you know, this. we hope that this event coming up on uh, September 29th at the Spectrum Theater in Roslyn will, um, you know, bring people from different backgrounds together, people from different uh, cultures together, and just spark a dialogue. Mm-hmm. Because, if, if, because if, if we don't take the step to make the change, you know, who will? That's right. And, um, you know, the spectrum um, is, um, is that the, the place in Roslyn, you said, right? Is, is that the venue that used to be the um, news in? The old museum, yes. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So tell us what people can expect um, from that night. You've got a number of events going on. So tell us what they're in for. I think that, uh, I I think for one, they're going to be in for some great Lao food. Um, Two, they're, you know, I think they're going to leave with a fresh new perspective mm. on what they can what they can do, how they can affect change, mm-hmm. um, and I think that uh, surviving the peace is going to be a, a sobering, uh, realistic look at you know what you know what can happen in the future what has already happened in the past and the effect that it's having to a generation that wasn't born during the uh the, the Vietnam War. You know, we have to we we have to put an end to the lingering effects of our bad behavior. Of right. our rash behavior. Mm-hmm. We gotta put an end to it. I think that people who will attend this event will get an idea of how they can help. And there, 
And there are three films being shown. Is that correct, or is there two? Just the two. Okay. Oh, that's very good. And um, also, um, Michael, we're also going to have um, some of the actors and the filmmakers for both films there. So we do plan on oh, having a Q&A. And so that's what I wanted Patricia to touch upon a little bit um, about the filmmaker and, you know, who produced uh, Surviving the Peace mm-hmm. and what inspired them to do that, to talk a little bit about that film. And we also plan on having a silent auction items to raise money. I mean, our goal for this event is to raise over $100,000, and mm-hmm. it is a bold statement. But mm-hmm. it is, it is, we have a dire need to raise these funds because we are supporting three different organizations in one night. We are supporting the powerful work of MAG, and you've heard from Patricia mm-hmm. how dire the situation is, not only in the country of Laos, but all over the world. And then we have Race Mantella Pictures, who wants to produce and develop films that are all in mission work to inspire cultural unity and showcase commonalities among different racial groups so that we can have this dialogue of, you know, what makes us different also makes us common, makes us special, Mm -hmm. makes us understand Mm -hmm. each other better and, you know, facilitates a a dialogue where we can foster more understanding. And then we have the Lao Heritage Foundation, who is in also a dire need to preserve their culture because of the massive, um, you know, influence that took place because of all of the conflicts of the war and the aftermath of that, where, you know, we had a lot of the scholars and the um, and the masters either exiled or, or killed, and and we, you know, a lot of them just kind of landed where they landed, and they're a lot older now, and so everything was orally taught, so we need to find them. Um, to pass on the traditions to future generations. So I, I do want to pass, uh, you know, it over to Patricia and talk a little bit about the uh, producers of the film because they did such a powerful and wonderful job. And uh, I think um, we have Patricia back now. Yes. Um, okay. I'll make the point first, but, I mean, I think something else people will get out of this experience is just meeting like-minded people. Um, when I travel with Mag, you know, and talk to people in Laos, people in Cambodia, people in Angola, you know, they really have come to think that maybe America doesn't care that much about their problems, um, that it's not that, you know, what's going on for a small rural villager in Angola isn't of interest to Americans. But I think that there are plenty of Americans who care deeply and hopefully, and, you know, you don't always feel that because it may not be the same people who you see at the grocery store and it may not be your children's friends. But hopefully going to this event, what I'm most excited about is having a room full of people who want to inspire that change, who want to see the world evolve into a different place and to really just want to help people who are so far away because they know that we're all part of the same human race. So for me, that's really something that kind of tied me with Sawande and Mali is that we, we three share this kind of commitment to change, that if it doesn't, and I think Sawande said it perfectly, if it doesn't start with us, then who else is going to start it? Who's going to inspire it? And hopefully we can be a little bit of that inspiration. Mm-hmm. And um, tell people how they can find out more information about the event and purchase tickets and so forth. Yep, absolutely. Well, first I'll mention briefly, so 
Um, we so Mag went out um, and looked for a firm to help us do the film. So it was our decision. We really wanted to use um, cinematic storytelling, um, narrative-based storytelling, to educate people about our work. We had been around for a while. We didn't have much of an individual support base because we thought that this issue of landmines was just so far removed from what anyone could understand. Um, it was, since it's not on our doorstep, we can't really imagine it on anyone's doorstep. So we looked for film as a way to share that emotional story. Um, and we found a great firm out of New York City, Media Storm, that specializes in this kind of narrative storytelling. And Nick Golan, who's a D.C. Um, resident, and Rick Gershon, who's a New York resident, came along as our filmmakers. And we were just so inspired about what they did. They were so humble in their conversations with people um, in Laos that we brought them back, and they're going to do kind of the next film with us in Angola, too, which is also just a heartbreaking place and a heartbreaking story. Mm. Um, but moving on to the event, um, as I think Marlene mentioned early on, the event is on September 29th at the Roslyn Spectrum. Um, we do have an Eventbrite kind of page set up where you could buy tickets. You can also get tickets um, through the MAG America website. We have a link to the Eventbrite page. Um, and so we urge everybody, everybody's welcome. We'd love to see um, as many of your listeners come out to us and watch the films and learn more about what um, Learn more about what MAG does, learn from Sawande, and, you know, start to change your life by making a difference in somebody else's. Very good. And um, we'll have you come back on briefly to um, the Monday before the event, um, just for 10 minutes or so, just to remind everyone as well. And, um, Great. Yeah. And um, either any of you guys can come back on and we can do that again. Um, Michael, if you you know if you can let your listeners know if there's anyone out there who would like to be a benefactor or be an individual sponsor, um, you don't have to be a corporation to contribute to support the cause and to help us raise the money to support these three organizations. They can contact me directly and at Mali M A L I at MaliCreative.com, and I can share with them some of the sponsorship levels on the end of, on the individual level. And if there are corporations out there, and then also media, we are looking for sponsors. Any way that we can uh, either get support, bring more awareness to the event, to sell tickets, uh, get more people to watch these films and to support the causes, as well as monetary donations, we all, you know we need all the support we can get. Oh well, yeah, we will definitely put the word out, and um, hopefully we can uh, make sure that you guys have. Um, uh, packed attendance for this event. And, um, yeah, it just sounds like it'll be really great. you got two films, you've got the food, and you're going to be able to meet the actual people who were um, participants as well in the film, um, <laughs> which I find so funny, the new N-word, <laughs> which is going to cause quite a buzz. And if I if I get too much um, feedback from that, I may have to call you in on some of that, Shawande. Day. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I went I'll, ahead. And, I'll make sure to put on my armor and address any and 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 all issues. Well, that that is great. Well, um, 
Well, we definitely want to invite you guys both back um, at least once a year, and let's make sure that we keep um, this information in the forefront. And as you progress and you do another film as well, we would love to be able to find out um, more information about that and find out where it is being um, showcased or premiered and um, be able to um, gather support for that as well. Oh, great. Yeah. and to be back. And, um, Patricia, this goes for you, too. I mean, we there's no just one time of the year to be able to um, try to, you know, gather support for you guys. Um, the kind of work that you do is just phenomenal. Um, I, I can't even tell you once I looked at the website and understood, because I've seen so many shows about this before, and it's a heartbreaking thing to see how this impacts the life of someone. To um, You know, a landmine can just destroy not only that person's um, ability to be mobile, but when you talk about the fear factor that's also um, a part of that and the fact that people can't use their own land to um, grow food, yeah, it's just um, it's just devastating. It really is. And um, to be able to, to think to do work like this and to reach out to people, and it's such a massive effort, I just commend you for even being a part of an organization that, that has this type of impact on the world. Well, thank you. I, I'm i really inspired by the work I do. Um, people like Mali inspire me who have come from, you know, a war-torn country like Laos and kind of made such a name for herself. Um, we actually have refugees working in some of our other countries. Um, people have had to leave their countries during war and then come back and say, find MAG and say, please let me work for you. Let me help rebuild my country, you know, those people really inspire me. You know, the victims I meet, children who are hurt and injured, you know, I'm going to fight for them, you know, for I don't know how long, probably until the day I die, mm. to make this not a reality in their lives. And for the parents out there, you know, the, the subject of our film is a father who lost his eyesight. And the pain you could feel from him not being able to, support his children and potentially the fact that then he won't have money to send them to school. You know, those are all things that keep inspiring me. So, yes, I appreciate it. We will come back. I'll let you know whenever I think maybe we have kind of an interesting story that your listeners might like, and we'll keep trying to get the word out. Uh, that's great. And, um, again, we'll do whatever we can to help out as well. And, um and uh, maybe next time around, too, you could bring some more folks, and um, we'd love to talk with them and hear their story as well, um, anyone that um, is a part of your group as well. And I'm very interested in the work itself and how it's done and um, the logistics of how you guys go about doing what you do. Um, I, I just think it's incredible work. When you think about something like that um, and you look at it as um, the plight it, it represents, I don't even know where to begin to try to resolve an issue like that. And it amazes me that someone would even think, is it an ex-military person who helped to be able to develop this um, whole concept? It was. So um, our founder was in the military. Um, it, we actually were founded out of the U.K. first. Mm -hmm. And so he was in the military in Afghanistan. Afghanistan has had even kind of before our recent interaction with Afghanistan for years and years back from kind of the Soviet occupation have had huge landmine issues. 
and an incredible amount of devastation. And he saw that and really wanted to get involved. And, again, we got involved in the the campaign to ban landmines as well. But then really now our focus isn't as much on the advocacy. It's really on getting these things out of the ground and being the best, most efficient operational organization we can be, but also with a heart. Again, our focus, we are a humanitarian organization. We want to go in and clear the land that has the most effect on people's lives. So we're really, that's always kind of in our head. We're always partnering with other nonprofits that can maybe come and help, you know, once we clear a land that can help in Laos, what's the best way to cultivate, what's the best way to grow crops, you know, so that we can get these people to head of the road to self-sufficiency because that's what everyone wants, right? No one wants to live in poverty. You know, they want to be sufficient on their own. But in countries like Laos, they can't because of this devastation that sadly America for a large, you know, primarily did to them. And so it's really kind of the global community's responsibility to help clean it up, I think. Absolutely. But we definitely we have technical experts. Um, I will be in touch and we can bring on some people who can speak a lot more about to what kind of the day-to-day operations look like in the country. Okay, very good. Well, thank you very much, um, Patricia, and um, thank you, Molly, as well as you, Shawande. And um, we're going to go ahead and close the show. And uh, just thank you guys for taking time out today to share with us and my listeners. And um, we hope to hear from you all again. And we hope to see you all on September 29th. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Today is just another day for most of us, but yesterday, millions of exceptional, brilliant people decided that they were going to do something this day that would change their lives for the better and potentially the lives for hundreds more. Some even awoke with an unheard of sense of determination, focus, and vision, ready to leap forward and make that big change in their lives. In reality, most awoke pretty much the same way as most of us, with today's office grind, tasks, checklists, and calendar and chores for the day as a primary concern. Sadly, some forgot yesterday's decision when they awoke. Others were just too afraid to try, and some just too stubborn to change, and many who forgot that tomorrow is not promised, did not make it to see the sunrise today. I can't emphasize this enough. There's no time like the present. Whatever you want for your tomorrow, the effort has to start today. Better yet, right now. You know, God has embedded in us a will and life purpose We may succeed at any number of things, but this is the one thing that we can be assured to be much bigger than ourselves. It is our opportunity to accomplish the amazing, touch the lives of a multitude of people, and leave this world that we live in a better place due to our efforts. Yeah, but first, we have to take action, take bold steps to crush our fear with confidence. 
destroy our insecurity with intense determination and implement a decisive plan that will turn obstacles into minor adjustments and defeats into monuments of mistakes that we will never make again, all because of the wisdom we obtain from that special day. You know what? There is no stopping people who truly care about the lives of others. And I would dare say that they are indefensible because nothing can destroy the human spirit. Why is it that I feature nonprofits and charities on my show so often? It's not just because they are awesome and a rare breed of individuals. It's because they selfishly do the work that matters because others won't and just because it's the right thing to do. How huge is that? But they do need your help. They first need you to be informed and aware, and I think we've taken care of that. Next, they need you to take action. Become a part of this solution. What is today just another day? You already did something great today. You woke up this morning. The question is, who will you be today? Take a close look. Therein lies a measure of truth.